0: Welcome to the Ward Zero podcast, covering the civic issues you most want to talk about. You are now entering Ward Zero.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of the Ward Zero podcast. My name is Asmahan Razavi, and I am joined by Darren Krauss and Jeremy Zhao. In the spirit of reconciliation, we just wanna begin the show by acknowledging that we live, work and play on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. So we have a jam-packed episode for you today, and here's what we're gonna be talking about. We're gonna talk about the latest mayor council polling the Thin Blue Line discussion that's uh, taken over the Calgary Police uh, Services, the Recall Act, and a special donor disclosures investigation by Live Wire Calgary. But as ever, we are going to begin with hot takes. And Darren, you have one.
2: Sure. So I had the opportunity to listen in to the Marta Loop discussion. There's a couple of high density developments that are going up in that community once again we have the same things i don't want density city decides that they're going to push through density regardless i really think that this is going to continue to become a much much bigger problem there are two polar opposites there's a real reluctance to meet in the middle and and i say that is on both sides and, and what's funny is that both sides say that they want to meet in the middle. And I just don't think that's the case. There's a group that doesn't want density. And then on the other side, there's the city with their mandate through the municipal development plan or through certain counselors. It's like density, 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 density everywhere. Put it on every corner. Put it Put it in backyards. Put it here. Put it there. Put it everywhere. And I get that we need to go that direction. But when you have the density everywheres against the density nowheres uh, and an unwillingness to meet in the middle, I think that we're just setting ourselves up for an ongoing and very, very divisive problem. But not as divisive as your upcoming hot take, Asmahan.
1: Well, Darren, I'm happy to report that uh, at least two, at least one person on this podcast, I should say, agrees with me. I just wanna say that fruit do not belong in desserts. It's a really controversial thing to say in the city, but it's really divisive, but I'm right. And I, I just don't think that there's any compromise here.
2: I, mean, I for no, one think you're hundred percent correct. Sorry, Oops. Jeremy, No, I, I says- need to get my words in there first
0: because <laughs> I support you.
1: Thank you. I was feeling very like persecuted.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm announcing my retirement from this podcast. I don't think it's, it's going to be a good working relationship going forward. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> wow. Over fruit.
1: <laughs> and dessert. Don't forget the dessert part. <laughs>
2: I mean, I mean, to be honest with you, I actually don't eat much dessert to begin with. Like I might have the odd brownie or the, the odd bowl of ice cream, but I don't eat much dessert anyway. So it really doesn't impact me where I can't stand it. And I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to double up on your hot take. Do not put craisins in my damn salad. You put craisins in my damn salad. I am going to send that thing back because that is, that is an abomination to a salad.
1: Fruit don't belong in salad. Period.
2: <laughs> Looks anyway. like this this podcast is just me and you now, Asma, because Jeremy he's left. He actually left the Zoom. He's he's disgusted with us. It's okay.
1: Okay, so. We are going to go into our quick hit segment and Darren, I'm going to throw it to you.
2: Sure. So this week, the city's event center committee had their first meeting and it was largely procedural in nature. They elected some chairs. Uh, Sonia Sharp will be the leader of that committee along with Deborah Yedlin, uh, who is the president and CEO of the Calgary chamber of commerce. Um, But it was interesting there was a comment off of a question that I had asked Sonia Sharp regarding the purpose of the committee and whether or not it was one to explore the potential for an arena or whether this committee was to make sure that an arena or an event center was built. And she said, the goal is an event center and it's not if, but when. I'm sure for a lot of Calgarians that will raise some questions. Uh, I wanted to bring up the City of Calgary's Youth Job Fair as well. And in and of itself, it's not a, a really, really super big news story. But the reason why I bring it up is that it's the first one that they've been able to do in person for two years. And one of the things that both employers and potential employees have said is that what can make the job search difficult for a lot of people? Is the lack of in-person connection, uh, whether that's the ability to ask questions about a job or the ability to to get that first impression that you that you so often need when you're choosing prospective employees. So uh, I think it's really important that it is going ahead, and and I I can't exactly remember how many vendors are are there but I know there's quite a few so there's there's a number of jobs available uh finally big news breaking news although I don't think that we have uncovered the real scoop here yet Mayor Gondek is going to be the parade of wonders marshal for the Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo I asked her or actually I asked her office what her cosplay outfit would be um they declined to comment only saying that there are clues in the expo video of the mayor's announcement that goes ahead on April twenty second along Stephen Avenue Mall at ten thirty a.m.
1: What will she be?
2: be well, it, uh, so so I did look at the video and she drops a timepiece, like a timepiece that's on a chain, and I'm like thinking, like I asked, is it Mad Hatter? and they're like not quite but you're in the right realm and so i don't know what other like character has a timepiece the white rabbit oh maybe it's the rabbit i don't know from
1: alice in wonderland maybe (laughs) that'd be cute with the bunny ears the white
2: rabbit pretty easy costume
1: We leave people to ponder what Mayor Gondek is going to be on April 22nd. Let's go to our segment. So we are going to be starting with the Recall Act, which is coming into effect on April 7th. Just a few details around this: um, 40% of voters. In a riding or a ward, can begin the process to remove an elected official. This would be at the provincial or the municipal level. And I don't know if uh, all of you remember this, but at the end of the last election, uh, Councillor Sean Chu came under a heavy scrutiny. I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of another word, but yeah, I would say like heavy scrutiny because of allegations that came out around sexual assault. Many people wondered whether he should stay in his seat or not. And there were calls on the province to remove him from office. So, I mean, is this the kind of thing you use recall legislation for? Like, would he be removed? What do you guys think about this? Does it even matter since you need like 40 whole percent of uh, voters in a riding, which is actually like quite a significant number of people when you think about things like voter turnout and how dismal, for example, by-election turnout is. I think it was in Fort McMurray, it was like incredibly low when Brian Jr just won his, won his seat over there. So what do you both think?
0: It's a piece of legislation that just sets the bar so high. It's like, what's the point of having the piece of legislation? I guess the point perhaps the provincial government is trying to make is that it's got to be something so egregious, right? So impactful that up to 40% of the the population or of that riding would have to say like, yeah, we have to do something about this. We can't keep this individual in, in a position of power. Yeah. I don't
2: think that this will be used. I actually asked around, I asked DJ Kelly, who was the challenger to Sean Chu in the last election, if, if he had heard of any concerted effort, whether there was a door door to door campaign. And, and I actually recall we had the conversation on the Fridays at five, I think maybe it was last week, maybe it was two weeks ago when it had first come out. Vincent Saint Pierre, who who has worked in the political sphere for for a long time, said the resources that it would take, even on a volunteer basis, to try and get forty percent of the electorate in any riding would be a massive, massive undertaking. It's not; it's just not realistic. I I can't remember because Aaron Toombs did some numbers for us, and I think there's roughly gosh, I, I can't remember how many people are in the riding, but like to get the right number of people, like you would have had to get somewhere around 20,000 or 29,000 people to sign a petition saying that they didn't want Sean Chu. I think that that you'd be lucky to get 5,000 people who would be willing to sign it.
1: I mean, if you look at vote totals for how much counselors win by, like it can be between sort of, I guess, depending on the ward and the voter turnout, I I think um, anywhere from like 5,000 to 7,000 votes. So just to think about the sheer scale of numbers, to me, this, um, you know, hate to go on a a provincial government rant, but, but this seems like it was just sort of like a populist sort of piece of red meat to the base to make them feel like they can they power over people once they are elected. But if you actually look at whether or not people vote at these rates and what it would take to get that sheer number out, it's it's just not feasible, I don't think. And uh, I think to get that number out, someone would have to do something like super egregious, like hurt a puppy and then post it on Instagram, you know, like something that would be universally condemned, not that anybody should ever hurt puppies. I love puppies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> high, I didn't realize I that we had to put that. a dis- I,
1: I was just saying that like, that's the kind <laughs> of thing that would like incense people, you know, like, how could you like, it would, uh, it would create universal condemnation.
2: That's a mental note to me to make sure that we, we include a, a disclaimer, a warning, a trigger warning for,
0: for people uh, for this episode, just in case. <laughs> puppies aside you know the the topic uh is so timely because the by the time kind of this recordings out the the bc provincial government you know is introducing legislation to uh, i guess uh, remove or or put municipal politicians on some kind of leave if they are uh indicted or if they're actually convicted of certain uh of crimes i guess uh i haven't seen all the full details yet but that Just came out kind of today i don't want to date ourselves here but yeah so the that the the provincial government for example in bc is kind of doing something kind of uh maybe a little bit more proactive but there have been just so many cases uh of you know municipal leaders just causing trouble or they've been suspended or they've been you know uh, convicted of something or, 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 or so it that to me is very interesting just seeing that contrast now with the Recall Act versus kind of what BC is doing.
1: The Think HQ slash Mark Henry poll that was released recently around the mayor's popularity uh, and council's popularity. So just some interesting notes from that. Four in 10 Calgarians surveyed approve of the mayor's performance the mayor actually commented on the poll and said that it's a point in time, uh, right at the tail end of you know one of the worst periods uh, in people's lives, i.e. the pandemic. People are angry, people are frustrated, and um, there is an especially there is an especially significant amount of frustration that is um, directed towards politicians. What do you all think? Is it is this polling a reflection of Uh, the mayor's decision-making and what people think about her decisions.
2: If you ask me, this is, this is classic politics. Honestly, you do all of the heavy lifting up front. You take your dive right off the bat and then you spend the next two and a half years building towards that next election. And I mean, we can see it playing out in provincial politics right now, even look at all of the things that, that Jason Kenney is doing giving money away here, giving money away there, paying people's continuing care bills, like like he's, he's doing all sorts of stuff. I think that he's leading himself up to A, the leadership review and B, hopeful that the UCP is able to ride that wave of goodwill into a potential election next year. So I really think You know, when you think of all of the issues, whether it's the climate declaration, which I think the mayor last night at the Climate Hub conference called it a lightning rod. When you talk about that, you talk about the event center failure, you talk about the tax increase, substantial tax increase, a bigger tax increase than they had projected tax increase. You talk about the issues with transit safety, the issues with with Calgary's unhoused. you talk about all of these things. And before long, you are really disappointing a lot of people with how you've handled things, not to mention now, and we're going to get to it a little bit later, the whole issue with with thin blue line and the police service you've got, you've got. 1,800 sworn officers and their families who have an issue with how the mayor and council are handling the police service. It's not rocket science here to figure out why the disapproval rating is so high.
1: What I thought was interesting, and and sorry, Jeremy, I'll give you a second to weigh into, um, was where her approval was concentrated and, and who was disapproving of her. So I noticed that her approval was higher in the inner city, higher in the Northeast, higher among women. Uh, Seemed like um, it was less high with uh, men of the like, you know, 55 plus demographic. Um, I think you have some audio to play on that, Darren.
2: I do have some audio that I can play here because I asked the mayor straight up, How does she read that 55 plus upper income bracket uh, and and the large disapproval rating? Here's what she had to say.
3: It's interesting. I was at a talk yesterday where um, a gentleman stood up and said very clearly during the question period, we all know that you're anti-business, we all know that you're anti-oil and gas, and we all know that you're really anti-stampede and you're pretty much negative on all of these things. So how do you explain the fact that you became our mayor? That's a pretty blunt question. And I answered it by saying, I'm not sure that you are aware of my history and my professional experience. I actually worked at the business school. I created a BCom, and MBA degree program. I ran my own consulting firm, and I worked for two other large corporations. And he said, oh, I had no idea. I explained to him the work I've done in many areas of promoting the energy sector in our city. And once again, he said, I didn't know that. So I think during elections, people create a cartoon character of candidates and they push it out and people bite. And during this past election, it was incredibly polarized and people wanted a choice between left and right. And they painted candidates into corners. That's not who we are. We are incredibly complex human beings. With incredibly complicated positions on issues that are really big, and for the folks that want to believe that I'm a cartoon character of who I actually am, all I can do is go out into the public and dispel those myths. So I would say perhaps people need to get to know me a little bit better.
1: Um, so I, I actually think there's a lot of truth to to what the mayor is saying um, in terms of the you know the polarization that existed in the election. And this idea that, you know, she represents in, in some ways, there's this idea that she, like, when she was elected, there was this hope because it's this woman of color being elected who was highly educated and like represents like a certain image of Calgary. But at, on another level, she represents this like, you know, it's no longer I, I mean, I don't know if I should say this, like the, the city has like a different it's not what people think it is, and I'm just gonna say it. Like, it's not this like sort of you know white male driven city that that is just about like a certain sector or or just about a certain kind of of culture. It's it's more diverse. Um, they're younger people. They're people of all backgrounds, and and there is that sort of tension. I don't know that that necessarily is the only thing at play with the polling, though. I think that to your point, Darren, like there is a lot of anger towards politicians. Actually. Yeah, this was your point. I think there's a lot of anger towards politicians right now. She is the mayor, so she's going to take the brunt of that. It is a difficult time. The arena and climate change are both super polarizing topics.
0: You know what? I have to like a hundred percent almost agree with with Esmahan here. I like I said hundred percent and an almost. That I don't know why I said that, but. If Nenshi decided to run for a fourth term, he'd probably get the same kind of flack, you know, maybe less so than, than the current mayor because he's a male, but because he's of a visible minority. And I guess the platform that he's kind of ran for the past, you know, three terms. I, I I don't think it would have been any different had he still been in power. And, you know, if you go back further, let's let's pretend for a moment that Bronco was still our mayor it'd be a very different conversation. I bet that same gentleman would have a very different take. Honestly, that, like that's my personal opinion. And I think that would be a pretty safe assumption that that same gentleman who called out the, our current sitting mayor would have uh, different words or different opinions about uh, Bronco
1: Okay. So we're going to go into our next segment, which I'm actually quite excited about. Darren Livewire put out this really, really great, I guess, in-depth investigation that came out very recently around the the donors to municipal campaigns. And I want to kind of pick your brain on this a little bit. I know Jeremy does as well. this was an Aaron Toombs investigation. He's done quite a bit of investigative work for you lately. I just want to hear about how this came together, what your insights are. Uh, Give us the, give us the goods.
2: Well, I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Toombs because all of the credit goes to Aaron Toombs. I'm just the talking head here on the podcast. But what Aaron and I had discussed was we know that other folks are going to take a look at the disclosures. We know that they're going to do what they have to do to get a story out about the disclosures, but we wanted to own it. And so Aaron wanted to spend the time and trust me, he spent a lot of time there. I think he's an honorary employee over at elections Calgary because he spent so much time there. That's where the whole job began was because of the way the information is collected. It's collected on, on papers or whatever that, have to be PDFed or or they have to take screenshots of them and he had to collect like like hundreds of screenshots and then he had to fix them in the png form so that they could be read by his his automatic reader and, and whatnot and can you imagine just that process alone we haven't even got to looking at the data yet but can you imagine that process alone and what sort of a barrier that is to democracy itself is making it as as difficult as possible to be able to track the donors. So there's that aspect to it. When I take a look at the data, I guess first off, I'm a little bit surprised that there are some names who have spent tens of thousands of dollars and I don't think that I mean, it's difficult to use the word influencing because everybody's allowed to donate. Anybody can, you know, donate to a campaign for, for a candidate that they that they appreciate and they they want to get behind. But when you're donating to so many different candidates, I think Dr. Mark Zivitt donated to 23 candidates. When you start to see that level of hey, uh, I'm going to bet on this horse and I'm going to see if my horse gets in. And then I think Lisa Young called it, there's a certain reciprocity that many people expect out of that. I think I was slightly unprepared for that. I will tease a little bit that Aaron might have another aspect to this that he's looking at. And it might involve some of the other counselors or other candidates which will be really really interesting but the other thing that I wanted to bring up here before you guys continue to ask questions or or draw your own conclusions was we don't even have the third party advertising disclosures yet I think that listeners would be interested to know we did submit the FOIP on that Day when we could, when the, the disclosures were made public, we submitted our FOIP that day. For those of you who aren't familiar with the process, it's a 30 day minimum. At which point, at the end of the 30 days, they can request another 30 days, which I believe at the end of that 30 days, they can request another 30 days. We got noticed that it would be another 30 days before we would get updated again. And the reason why that 30 days is in there is because the city, or, or I shouldn't say the city, Elections Calgary has to contact almost every person on that list to make sure that their disclosure or their donation to a third-party advertiser can be disclosed publicly. Why is that a problem? Because if all of the money or a large portion of the money went to third-party advertisers and they can be protected, when we contrast the two and we put the campaign donors the way we did out there, and I had one person email me and say, I was absolutely mortified when I saw my name on that list, but good work they may continue to go down that route of the third party advertiser and instead of donating in the in the sunshine we'll call it and being like having their name recorded they'll do everything through the third party advertiser and that is a very 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 dangerous route for our elections to go because there is really no cap to how much money can be spent reasonably in a municipal election. All right, over to you two.
0: Well, I'll I'll say I'm not surprised. I mean, I've been following it for many years. You know, whether or not the individuals have to, we'll call it cough it up, or in previous elections, it's been behind corporations, and then prior to that, it was basically a free-for-all, right? You could spend any amount of money, didn't really matter at all. I'm not surprised. And I'm sure, you know, if you dug in further, and look at each individual's background, you know, there's going to be a, a theme or, or, or I can call it a generalization of where where uh, those individuals' um, backgrounds would come from. So, I mean, you know, when I was with Civic Camp, we understood the just the amount, the Herculean effort to put this together. And we didn't even have some of the tools probably that, you know, Aaron had during the day. I, I remember we crowdsourced it we said hey we need the power of the internet the only time that the internet's good for here uh and people you know volunteered their time uh looking at you know an image that would pop up and they would type the name the donation to help us compile the the list of uh donors both corporations and individuals so i'm not surprised by any of what aaron has published And I think this is definitely unprecedented because this is public, you know, it's been released by a news outlet, and it's probably the first of its kind in Canada on a municipal level uh, to go to this extent. I don't think that work has ever been done. And you can imagine, you know, I would assume you, Toronto or Vancouver would have uh, put this initiative first, but they... They don't, but you know things work differently as well. There, there's party systems, there are alliances, there are coalitions. In Calgary, it's a little different; it's more individuals. But you'll see themes of, you know, in general, the development industry, the real estate industry, industry have a um, have a stake, right? Having, uh, they they understand that you know they they sometimes need to have a position in order to get certain things done from a business perspective. So, not surprised at all.
1: Just quickly, some thoughts from me on this. Someone who has been a candidate, like I definitely understand why, you know, like if somebody comes to you with a $5,000 check, why you need to take it, you know, campaigns are expensive. But what I was thinking, and when I think the campaign disclosures came out a few weeks ago, and, and we saw how much people spent on their campaigns and I, I, you know, I, I, I've talked about this before, I helped a few candidates out. And I knew that from that experience that fundraising was much harder this time around. And so we saw a lot of winning campaigns on much smaller budgets. And we also saw when I ran this idea of like, starting to disclose your donors was newer. This election, almost everyone did it. And so I'm curious to see how this shapes the conversation for the next election. Are people going to be more reluctant to take quote unquote, big money checks in the US. There was a, there's a lot of chat chatter from like, you know, I remember the Bernie Sanders campaign was like, we were the campaign powered by the most small donors. um So that kind of looking at, at, um, at fundraising from the, the smaller donors and then running campaigns on less money, like, is that the trajectory we're going to see campaigns go on? But it, it, it does make me apprehensive because then there is all this money that can just go into third-party advertisers. So I don't know, the world of campaign finance is a very interesting one.
2: Well, that's kind of why I liked where Lisa Young, uh, University of Calgary political scientist went, she said, look, we've got to have a global cap, which the, the the best way to describe that is one person needs to have a limit on how much they can contribute to a municipal election because really, I I believe that that Irfan Raji was the top contributor at at $52,000. But I also know that for a while, Mr. Raji was the head of, or at least the spokesperson for one of the third-party advertisers. So you have to think that some money went there too. And his wife, Christine Armstrong, I, I believe, I don't have the st- story up, up in front of me, but she also donated another 25,000 or so dollars. So, so at, at what point do you say, like, I don't care if you donate to 50 candidates, but you've got to keep your top, like you got to keep the total donations to under $50,000. And not only that, but in doing so, You've got to limit that donation level to $1,000 or, or something like that, you know, a, a much lower individual campaign contribution. So you put those two things together and yeah, I get it, Esmahan, there are some candidates who aren't going to have as much money. I think that you start to reach a little bit more of a parity when $1,000 is reasonable for somebody to spend on a campaign Because they're pushing their limit, and you put that cap in at, I don't know, $25,000, $50,000, people can more afford to give $1,000. And therefore, you actually broaden out maybe the, the potential base of donors.
0: So, Darren, you know, the Local Authorities Elections Act was amended, right, during the Notley government. And I remember the there was an, uh, an open platform for you to submit your suggestions and uh, myself and another individual, we did. And, uh, you know, they kind of pick and chose what they wanted to do or went in with. And, uh, you know, the, the, the points that you talk about were not part of those amendments. And obviously that was degraded further when the current provincial government decided to amend it again for, you know, whatever reason as well. So, yeah these are great talking points and there was a public submission period but you know if i had to be more objective i say i would say that the notley government at the time didn't go far enough with some of these amendments and and they some of that responsibility is on them it's not on the current provincial government
1: So our final segment is on the discussions around the Thin Blue Line. Uh, you may recall that the Police Commission instructed Calgary Police Service to uh, order its officers to no longer wear the Thin Blue Line patch. Just recently, uh, Police Chief Mark Neufeld came out and said that there, because there has been a break in the relationship, a break in trust between the Police Commission and the Police Service, they need at least two weeks to uh, to implement this. There was a a lot of discussion around the police chief's comments. You know, he seemed to indicate that this was that the officers are demoralized, that this was the straw that broke the uh, camel's back. He said something about Calgary police service members uh, following the accounts of of uh, counselors and commission members on social media. So, I mean, there's so much. To unpack here. I actually did tune in to the very end of the police commission meeting. And there were a lot of good points that, that I'm going to bring up as we engage in this discussion. But Darren and, and Jeremy, it's created quite the uproar.
0: Not only, you know, is, are we looking at this, this story from kind of the police side of things, as Maha and Darren, we talked about kind of the other side, right the the kind of online we'll call it the the trolls or the the individuals who who don't see the uh the human part of some of the conversations you know uh, that may be controversial it may be whatever but i can also understand you know when you are an officer and you're online and there are certain comments made about you or the force in general you know that is going to elicit a response, a human response or, or some kind of barrier that you're going to put up. So, you know, I know we had that discussion and we talked about just some of the things that you would see online and, you know, I'm sure most of the individuals in the force kind of go like, okay, this is just like general social media crap that, that comes out at times, but, you know, for anybody, you know, a celebrity or, or an individual in a position of power or in a, in a special position where, you know, they have a a little bit more authority, it can wear you down. And I I do understand that that's kind of where this whole conversation is going to go is, you know, what, what, what's that breaking point, right? What do I see online? And how does that affect me as a human being? I'm talking about it as a human being. How does that affect me emotionally and psychologically?
2: I've learned a few things. Because initially, I, I had a problem with two days because you can't get anybody to do anything in in two days. I mean, you take a look at what the city had done with trying to get the vaccine mandate among employees. Like, how long did that take? And they still didn't get full compliance. So how can we realistically expect the Calgary police to be able to send out an email or whatever and say, don't show up with the thin blue line patch. I know that everybody thinks it's that easy. It just is not easy. Do you know how difficult it is to get two kids to do the same thing when you ask them to do it? It's virtually impossible. But then I learned today that this has been going on for at least a couple of years if not longer. Mayor Gondek told me today that when she was on police commission the thin blue line patch was an issue and the Calgary Police Commission and the Calgary Police Service knew that at some point it was going to have to go. With that new information, I'm sitting here thinking, all right, yeah, I get it. This didn't just come out of the blue, Chief Newfeld. This isn't something that, that you couldn't have prepared people for months ago. You could have provided them the information on on how it impacts other people. And you could have taken people down that road to a point where maybe the service itself goes, yeah, you know what, I, I think for the community's benefit, this is the best way to go. So there's that aspect to this. In police defense, I can only speak from my experience in media. And when you put out a story and it could be balanced, it could be objective, but if it doesn't meet what someone else believes to be the truth, you are attacked and you're attacked mercilessly. And I see that and I sent you guys so many screenshots of the comments I received off of my monitoring post that i had tweeted out there were some some awful awful things saying that all police are hate-filled pigs and stuff like, that. like come on let's be serious not all of them are i like i i know many police and i've known police from the rcmp they're they're caring giving individuals who want what's best for the community and yeah Is there maybe a certain personality type that the job attracts that lends itself to certain, I I don't know, certain qualities, I guess I will say. Sure. That's beside the point. I think if we're ever to get past this situation, the trashing every single police officer and painting them all with the same brush and using such awful language to describe it. You are a part of the problem. You're not, you think you're a crusader. You think that you are um, a a, a protester. You think that you are pushing for social change. You are just as big a problem as as the people who you're attacking. And I think I see that to be the biggest issue here. We will never solve this. As long as we don't go, hey, police need to change and there needs to be some recognition on this side. And then on the other side, hey, we don't love the way police deal with certain communities, but we also recognize that they play an important part in public safety. Because if you really want to go polar, and now I'm getting a little bit rantish here, if you really want to go polar, let me put it this way. You've got a choice. You can either have the police that we have, which I think by and large, the police population, the sworn members are there to to serve and protect, or you don't have them at all, okay? You want to get polar, let's get polar. You either have the police, the ones that that we have, and we try to figure out the issues and we try to work together, or you don't have them. Okay. Are you going to step in now?
1: I have a lot of things that I want to say. I think it's important to characterize sort of response that the police is getting in a way that, that captures the true spirit, which in my, from my perspective is that there are systemic issues within the police, particularly when it comes to like racialized communities or, or different communities of faith and These issues have come to a fore. Um, There have been people who have been protesting about this for for years, who have, um, you know, borne uh, significant consequences because of this, whether to their reputations, whether to their livelihoods, whether to their bodies, frankly, their reform has been slow. And it seems like the police are very slow to come along as an institution. And the thin blue line and the discourse around this in many ways is emblematic of that. The symbol was used in, I think, you know, um, it got a lot of publicity around the whole like white supremacist rant, uh, or sorry, uh, rallies in Charlottesville, which were quite famous in the Trump era for for the hate associated with that. And it's taken on on as a symbol of white supremacy that for many groups in the city, when you see the thin blue line on an officer, you're not thinking oh, this officer is like proud of their fallen colleagues. You're thinking, oh my goodness, this officer is thinking things about my community and they, as an officer, have power that I will never have and they are making me feel unsafe. And so this discussion, I think for a lot of communities, like, you know, we're talking about the the hurt feelings of the police, but I think what's missing is like the fear that exists in certain communities that is genuine. You know, I can only like, I can only imagine what it, what it is to be a black man walking down the street of any city in North America or Western Europe uh, and encountering a police officer. I can only imagine what it is to be an indigenous person in this country, walking around and, and encountering a police service. I'm not painting anyone with like one brush, but I am saying that there are instances of harm that have occurred that have broken trust. And so when the police chief talks about broken trust between the commission and the police service, there is broken trust between many communities in the city and the police service. This could have been an opportunity for the police service and the chief to show that they are willing to jump at any opportunity to breach that trust. And in my opinion, they failed. That's really tragic because there was a real opportunity for leadership here. And I, and I think it was thrown out the window
2: I feel I, bad, Asmahan.
1: I, I just went on a soapbox. Sorry, I didn't mean to. A, so did I. This <laughs> just like lots of thoughts that I've had around this issue. It, it's a, it's an issue. I, I understand. Like it, it causes a lot of like. There's just a lot around this, but I, I really think we have to think about that fear aspect, and and we need to like listen to those voices who are talking about it because. Yes, there may be voices that are, I would say, like, that are, that are eclipsing that, but to listen to the concerns in the community, to understand, to sit with, you know, a young Black man and to understand what their experience is like in this city or an Indigenous individual or, I mean, like, I can only, okay, like, I, like, just like a, on a very small scale, okay, like, as somebody with a Middle Eastern name who goes into, like, an airport and you're always like, oh, am I going to be selected? You know what I mean? Like, it's just not a good feeling. But the idea that that you can be, as we have seen across this country and in North America, that you can be gunned down, I mean, that is like a severe trauma that certain communities are dealing with. I, I've said that a few times, um, but I think it's an important point to make.
2: Jeremy, Jeremy, you enter at your own peril.
0: Well, I think maybe for Calgary, you know, you know, Darren going back to your very uh, beginning point about, you know, how this has been ongoing, you know, I just Googled here, you know, Victoria police, they banned a the thin blue uh, line badges, you know, back in late 2020 as an example, right. But for th- the topic that you brought up where, you know, it's been going on for a while. I think it's more, I think we all agree it's more than just about the thin blue line. There's just been this slow escalating, you know, mounting distrust between all parties. And it's just, it just takes like one little thing. And now here we are going to spend 30 to 45 minutes talking about, you know, an issue that frankly is, is so complicated now in, in such an interesting time that we live in that, what do you do? I, uh, it's, it's uh it, and always it's always heartbreaking to see that it's always heartbreaking to see that calgary as a city that that for a long time said we're going to be world class is is in a certain situation where you know even groups can't trust each other so how can we build that world class city and it's it's just sad it's always sad i'm i'm not disappointed i'm not I don't, I don't know as an individual, it's just it's just heartbreaking to see because it's different. It can be different on the island, for example. I'm not saying there, there, there aren't the same situations, but but the magnitude or the the heightened you know media tension around it, the 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 the, tent, the ongoing, you know, sometimes dumpster fire that we see is just so much more pronounced for some reason in Calgary and area than it is maybe in in other parts of the country. But, you know, I may be wrong. I know Toronto has a huge, huge issue as well. So it, it's always just interesting to see it once I step away from the city and go like, oh, this is how it's been characterized or this is, this is how it's been written.
1: Um, I don't know that the Calgary context is special, to be honest. I think this is a conversation that is happening in every municipality so I, I don't know, like, I mean, you know, we see stories like this come out of Toronto, we see stories like this come out of Vancouver, uh, smaller municipalities, um, everything like that. So I don't know, I mean, we saw this happen in Ottawa with the Ottawa police force, right? Like we saw these discussions around that, I mean, and so they come, came under quite a bit of scrutiny. I think this is a, a discussion that is happening in a lot of places in this world.
2: What needs to happen here in order for us to at least come to a place, and I'm not even asking for trust to be there, but what I'm asking for is that we're at a place where we can begin to rebuild the trust. What has to happen, Asmahan?
1: So from my perspective, the entity who holds a lot of power here in this dynamic, who is the police, need to do everything in their power to show that they understand that they hold this power, and that they are willing to more than listen, we've moved past the time of listening, they're willing to take action to address the concerns um, that they have heard from the commission, from members of council, and from more importantly, like average Calgarians who are members of their community.
0: Jeremy, so kind of, as Mahan's kind of alluded or or talked about at least, you know, what the police side likely needs to do in order to, like you said, Darren, kind of rebuild, you know, at least a conversation, right. Uh, In order to kind of rebuild that trust, I would say on the, you know, the groups affected, you know, all the activism that goes on, you know, uh, being in that space you're always like you know change has to happen right now it's got to happen within 48 hours or else you know it was all for nothing change takes a long time you know and we're always fighting for you know what's best for our community but it doesn't happen overnight and i think people get disheartened really easily things that they see, like, you know, the, 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 the Instagram, the social media you know, giving you an instant kind of dopamine boost. That's not how civilizations and how communities are built. It takes time. There's going to be a lot of stumbling blocks along the way. You're going to fail a lot. That's the reality. Unfortunately, I wish there was some better way or method to get to where we all want to go but it doesn't happen that way. It takes sometimes generations, right? We're not going to be, you know, by the time I'm dead, this is, this, this is not going to be resolved. And it just takes a long time. And I think people have to realize and be realistic with it. It's not your freaking social media, like, and bam, there it goes. You're, you're a freaking, you're freaking Twitch, you know, mega star. Now it doesn't happen that way. And people have to really realize and be realistic with their expectations as well.
1: What about you, Darren? What do you think?
0: I've done enough thinking for this episode.
2: <laughs> I, I guess my comment would be, I think society in general really needs to take a look in the mirror. And it's, it's such a cliche, but take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I part of the solution or am I part of the problem? And if you're part of the problem, then you need to rethink how you're approaching certain situations. Yeah, that doesn't mean that you always have to be nice. It doesn't mean that you always have to be politically perfect in the way that you, you deliver the things that you say. But it also can't be baseless generalizations about either side. Um, and, I, and I think we need to get to a point where where we actually really want things to be different. And until other sides or each side goes, I really, really want things to be different, then I I, I don't think that they will personally take the action necessary to create the change that they want.
1: was our show as always thank you so much for joining us if you want to talk about municipal politics there's a lot of ways for you to do so you can join darren at five o'clock on fridays on twitter spaces just go to his account at livewire underscore dk you can also follow us on twitter darren's at at livewire underscore dk jeremy's at jz from calgary and i'm at asmahan yyc Let us know what you think. And, uh, you know, we really want to hear from you. So send us your notes. Thank you. Goodbye.